0: because it's kingdom, and we're talking about the kingdom, and uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and I always hated it when I got in my, my, uh, my classes in, in school, and the teacher would say, take out a piece of paper and number from one to ten. Do you, do you have that sinking feeling? You know, it's like, oh, gosh, I didn't study at all. Um, I want to hear what you guys are hearing from this series, and this could be an open book test, so if you take notes, um, you know, we've been talking about, what is it? like to live an eight Beatitudes lifestyle. And uh, I'm just curious, what, what are you hearing? What, what have you been maybe applying? What are some of the things that, that the Lord is speaking to you as we've been kind of diving into just even these first couple of Beatitudes? So I know I'm pop quizzing you here, but I'd, I'd love to just kind of hear a little feedback from you guys, if anything. And if not, I'll realize that my teaching is failing. No pressure, no pressure. Mr. Matt. I love, uh, I never understood the word meek, and that was a really, I thought that was a really great week when you talked about meekness is not weakness, and uh, that meekness is power over so I, I love that whole thing. Yep, that was good. I'm going to grab the mic. Did you guys hear what he said? Yeah. More or less? Okay. Matt, basically, well, go ahead and say it again, man. I just. Or make sure the mic's on. Yes.
1: I really appreciated the the week on when we talked about meekness, and uh, the notes that I wrote down. Meekness is power over selfishness, and it's the awareness of our difference from other people, and produces humility and gratitude. So it's not being weak; it is being aware, self aware. And I love that.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's good. Can we also? Uh,
1: one of the things that I had written down from your first message on Sermon on the Mount was. That the um, the Beatitudes could be thought of as the constitution of the Christian faith. That was significant to me because I like framework.
0: <laughs> yes. It gives us a great roadmap. It's really
1: profound. Um, I like the definition about mourning is mourning is when you realize in your heart you want to be like God you want to be sanctified but you realize where you're living and so the mourning is just the discrepancy of you know what you want to be and can't get there
0: that's good awesome anybody else? no pressure this side of the room just no pressure Steve, way to go, man. Everything starts with devotion to the secret place, you said. So, uh, and I love that you, when we were going out for Saturate, part one, you said your homework is to sit at Jesus' feet and love Jesus. Right on. We don't do that, man. We ain't got nothing to give. So, going once, twice, sold. All right, cool. Well, you know, be prepared on this stuff. I mean, honestly, I I spent way too much time prepping this sermon this week. Um, I'm supposed to be part-time and I feel like I've been full-time this whole week. So it's been, it's been crazy, but it just occurred to me that, that I love you guys and, and, and doing doing this study has actually been, uh, therapeutic for me in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's always true. The teacher learns more than the student. That's inevitably the case. I wish you all could stand up here and have to teach. Because it does. It it drives you deep into that heart. And so um, I, I encourage you now. we got the website up and happening. All the talks on this series are on the website now. Marvin's amazing time with us last week. Uh, bro, I'm so glad you're here. This is, this is just an awesome thing, man. Um, God is calling us to be holy, you guys. That's kind of the, like I said, the pinnacle statement in the Sermon on the Mount. Be holy like your Father is holy. And so... I think we talked about this idea that it's to, how do we do that? It has to be radical obedience. We got to make a determination that we're actually going to do this stuff, you know, because we just can't, we just can't come in here each week and sit in the pews and feel comfortable about it, but that we want to have a vibrant heart. We want to have that heart that's, that's passionate after Jesus. Whenever he says, blessed is the man, you know, the, the blessed part is that vibrancy. It's that, that hunger and that desire, that, that thirst for Jesus. It says, yes, I want the more of God. And, and so I'm, that's why I, I love this, this whole session. So uh, what, what we've been doing, if you're new here, we've been standing each week and reading the Beatitudes out loud together. And I've been throwing a different translation at you every week. This week, it's the Passion <laughs> Translation. Yes. So why don't you stand with me? We're gonna go ahead and read verses three through 12 together. Here we go. What wealth is offered to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For there is no charge to enter the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord, for you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you, for you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness, for you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will be opened to see more of God. How blessed you are when you make peace, for then you'll be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are when you bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right. For that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy since your heavenly reward is great. For you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Right on. Okay, pull up a chair. Such a good translation, man. I love it. It's just fresh, you know. Every time you read it in a different translation. And again, if you took up the challenge of the, the 10 chapter a day reading through the New Testament thing, uh, you get through the whole New Testament in a month. If you do that, every, every time you go through it, read a different translation. It totally begins to transform. It makes it fresh. It makes it new. And and this particular translation is amazing. All right, so we're on Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as I was uh, just meditating on that this week, it struck me that that beatitude actually kind of stands out as a unique one because the typical format for for the beatitudes is you have the blessed part and then the the consequence, right? And, And so this is the only one where the A and the B parts use the same understanding of the word, right? Blessed are the, you know, you show mercy. I mean, if you are merciful, you will be shown mercy. And so it's kind of a unique one. It kind of stands out to me, uh, especially because it reminds me of the golden rule. I was thinking about that in Matthew, you know, a couple of chapters later, Jesus talks about, what, what is the golden rule, by the way? What is the golden rule? Do to others as you would have them do to you, right? Yep this is essentially what that's saying. If you want mercy, be merciful, right? And so it's, it's just kind of like this, really, it sets the stage for the golden rule. And if we want to, you know, the way that we show mercy is actually the way that, that's the measure God's going to use when, when he extends mercy to us. So it's kind of a a fascinating thing. And, And you talk about this issue of mercy, um, Wow, it's, it's a very large topic, and there is no way to begin to cover it. In fact, uh, I love Mike Bickle. He calls it the, uh, the many-faceted diamond in the Beatitudes of mercy. And so what I wanted to do, I was originally planning to cover a couple this morning, but I think uh, I, I want to camp out on mercy this morning because it's, it's, a, it's a big one, and, and if, especially if we want to have a vibrant heart. Right? That's our heart. That's our goal. We want to be passionately pursuing Jesus. It's, it's critical for us to walk in mercy. And so I want to break it down this morning. I want to break it down into two areas. What we, how we receive mercy and then how we give mercy. Because we are big recipients of mercy, and I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, one of my verses that I quote often to the men in a marriage conference is this particular passage in Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And you know, in the Christian walk, it's easy to feel like you screw up more than you succeed. Do you feel that? I mean, there are a lot of days I'm like, gee whiz, you know, if I were... On court to be convicted as a Christian, would, I be, would there be enough evidence to actually convict me of that? Um, because I just I don't do it well. But I, I come back to this passage over and over again, and especially I'm, I'm talking to the men at the session, you know, because a lot of a lot of men in a marriage relationship feel beat up. They feel like they have failed completely, and they've been literally emasculated, and and so they they just feel like they can't ever succeed in this thing called marriage. And we come to this, and I say, you know what, dudes. Every day, his mercies are new. Every day, it's a clean slate. It's an opportunity to get back on the horse and keep riding. And so I I love the fact that God just models this for us. You know, his mercies, they never come to an end. And what I don't want us to interpret that as being, oh, it's time to be casual about sin, right? Not an invitation to be casual about sin. And it's easy to do. You know, we can love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we can find ourselves uh, doing little things that, that we know kind of perk the conscience. The Holy Spirit kind of nudges us, but we just kind of dismiss it, right? We let her ride, and we, we justify certain areas in our life. And we can get away with the thought of, well, God's mercies are new every morning. You know, he's just going to be really nice to me because he knows that I'm flawed and I'm messed up. Well, I, I want us to say that we need to be strengthening our resolve rather than choosing to give in if we if we blow it it's an opportunity to you know confess it what do we say press delete move on uh, we need to ask Jesus yeah to do that but there's the fear of the Lord that is kind of the balance to that whole thing there's a necessity for us to understand that yes his mercies are new but he is a holy God who doesn't mess around and so there's that tension yes he loves us but yes He is a holy, righteous God, and his judgments are true. And I think the reality is, you guys, uh, if if truth were known, we have received way more mercy than we deserve. You know, it's easy to think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, there's a couple of areas that I struggle with here, you know, but I I think I'm doing pretty well. But I think if the Holy Spirit were to just kind of set the table in front of us and lay it all out there on, on what our actual condition is, I think we would have a starkly different perspective. It's like, okay, those couple of areas that I'm, I'm thinking I'm not struggling, you know, that, that pales in comparison to the large things that, that I God hasn't even uncovered yet in my life. Conformity to Jesus, the, that perfection thing that he talks about. It's, it's an unfolding process throughout a lifetime. You know, that he begins to reveal more and more of the areas of our life that need to be conformed. And so it's easy to uh, kind of get ourselves out of perspective there. I, I like this, and you probably heard this, that justice is actually getting what we deserve. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those things in our culture today where we, we've, we have this social justice mentality, right? Where we look around and we see all the injustices happening and we want justice. We want, we want it to be right. We want people to get what they deserve, those who are perpetrators and those who are the victims, you know, we want, we want that justice. There's just sort of that innate sense in us. Justice is getting what we deserve. And in some respects, um, well, what we deserve, of course, is death. <laughs> that's, that's the harsh, harsh reality on that one. But again, getting what we deserve, God says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm taking care of you. I'm going to give you what you deserve in my righteousness, and that's a beautiful part about justice. There's, there's a whole different perspective there. Mercy, on the other hand, is getting what we don't deserve. And that's that's where we wanna to begin to understand uh, this whole thing here because a limited understanding of mercy causes some problems. And I, I came across, an, I, I told you, I'm a visual learner. So you gotta love my charts and graphs and stuff that I do here. but. The mercy comparison trap. And, and the Matthew 20 story is that story about the, uh, the vineyard, right? Where the owner goes out and he, he hires people early in the day. And they go out and work in the sun. And, and then partway through the day, he hires some more dudes. And then partway through the day, he hires some more dudes. And at the end of the day, the last hour, he goes out and there's still some people that he hires. And, and he comes to pay, uh, pay time at the end of the day. And the dudes have been working all day get the same amount as the guy who came in at five o'clock and you're like wait what's going on there and they, they of course complain about that it's like wait a minute this this can happen in in the area of mercy too because here's how it happens here's you click that next little there you go here's you as a Christian you know you've got your dedication you know you're a hard worker you've labored hard you're very obedient you feel like you know I'm a pretty good Christian especially when you compare me to the other person Click that next one there, Gary. There we go. The other people obviously did not do it, and they're not nearly as good a Christian as, as, as I. And, and then God's mercy kicks in, you know, and, and we achieve uh, God's standard of justice because we are clothed in his righteousness, right? But, but then we look over at this, this person over here who's not nearly as good a Christian, but God extends the same mercy or actually more mercy and we end up at the same level, and we sort of get this perspective of, well, wait a moment, I, have I been doing all this for no big deal? I mean, it's like, come on, God, give me a little brownie point here. And that's, that's where we have this kind of perceived entitlement that, well, obviously, I'm going to get more pay at the end of the day, because I've been, I've been much better than the other person. And yeah, we're, we're kind of equal, but I should get more. And we get this idea of entitlement. And it's, it's a big deal. I mean, it's easy to do that in the Christian faith. We can compare ourselves with other people real easy. And, and unfortunately, when we get the entitlement mentality, what it does is it tends to clamp down on what mercy is. Because we feel like, well, God, I work my little posterior off here, and you're obviously going to put us on the same level playing field here, and, and so you want me to extend mercy to that guy? No, we get a kind of a griping, complaining spirit, and it begins to stifle our mercy. Yes. It begins to shut it down, and we dampen it. Well, <clears throat> the measure of our anger about situations like that is usually a really good indicator of our lack of understanding of how much mercy we've actually received. Wow, <laughs> the level of anger that we have about those injustices is a really good benchmark for our lack of understanding and how much mercy we've actually gotten from our king. So here's the truth. God wants us to delight in showing mercy. Micah 7.18 says this. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. He delights to show mercy, you guys. I mean, we need to allow that to kind of sink in for just a second here. We need it to fuel our understanding of mercy, to fuel our desire to be compassionate, to be merciful to other people. Okay. Colossians 3.12 Paul picks up the baton here, and he kind of links mercy with a couple of other qualities here. So since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So he begins to expand the palette of what this mercy can look like, including kindness and humility, gentleness, and patience. These are things that... Um, in fact, I would say patience is, I love the King James Version, it's long-suffering. <laughs> and there are times that there are people in your life that you suffer long with. And, and he specifically puts that in there, you know. Uh, but we want in our mercy here to, uh, as, we, as we impact the lives of people, we want them to feel accepted. We want them to feel valued by God, to feel the mercy of God in their life. One of the bands that uh, our ministry has had for the past couple of years uh, is called Anthem City. And their passion is to go to the least of these. And so uh, they do a Christmas program, which is actually getting ready to start again here pretty soon. But in this Christmas show, their, their target audience is the inner city. Their target audience is the rescue missions. Their target audience is the prisons the least of these. And what they find is as they go into these locations and they share and impart the love, the mercy of God to people who feel very unworthy, who feel like the refuse of society, that God does an amazing work in their heart. And see, I think for me, that's, that's a really good picture of what Paul's talking about here, that there's, there's a tenderheartedness, there's a kindness, there's there's a, a long suffering that goes in. And some of those people are really quite challenging to work with. If you've ever worked with the homeless, you've ever done that kind of ministry, you know sometimes it's a thankless, a thankless thing. But there are many ways to show mercy. So that God is lavishing on us. We receive his mercy. He delights in doing that with us. So now let's flip the coin and talk about, okay, if that's true, then what does it look like for us to give mercy to people. So let's unpack this just a little bit. The first thing is showing tenderness toward people who annoy and hurt us. Can I just say that people are downright annoying? Put up that picture for me, Gary. There it is. I don't know what it is, man, but it seems like in our life, Julie's and my, my experience has always been that God is faithful to bring really irritating people into our life. <laughs> and it's just been consistent. No matter, even if we move, he finds new irritating people to move into our life, you know? And, and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is such a pain. You know, God, really? But he does it because he wants me to be a conduit of his delight in extending mercy to those people. And, and, you know, it's, it's not just annoying people. Sometimes it's people that we're really close to. Our family can be the worst place sometimes. God, seriously, you want me to extend mercy to them? Because if anybody knows us better, it's people in the family, and they know how to push the buttons, and they know how to cause irritation, and they can really be hurtful, quite honestly. And God still says, I want you to show mercy to that individual, to those people in your own family. The workplace is another place where this happens, you know, where you get, you get people around you who are annoying, people who can be hurtful, they whisper behind your back, they're, they're you know, bad-mouthing you to the boss or bad-mouthing you to the other employees in the, in the organization, and it's just like you're the, you're the black sheep in the office, right, or whatever, and so you just become the brunt of everybody. And God says, yeah, I know, I know this is difficult, but I want you to show mercy to them. I don't know about you guys, but that time is when I need, and I recognize my need for the Holy Spirit. It's like, if you're asking me in my own human ability to do this, it isn't going to happen. Another place that he wants us to be merciful, show sympathy, followed by action. And uh, the story of the Good Samaritan is a really good picture of this. When a lot of times there are people who are uh, in your life, again, who are very needy, and, and there may be times where there's a certain difficulty that they're going through. We've got a friend right now um, who has worked closely with Family Life over the years, and uh, he developed this crazy intestinal issue where they actually had to go in surgically and remove part of his intestine, and, and he's been hospitalized for four months now, And and we keep getting updates from them. And, you know, I mean, I love this guy. I do, you know. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes it gets fatiguing getting the updates all the time. And and you're kind of like, I just have no margin. I have no capacity to keep. I, I just don't know what to do, you know. And it's kind of to my advantage that he's not local. Because if he was local, then that would probably demand that I actually spend some time going there. And spending time with them, you know. And and so this, the story of the Good Samaritan really uh, convicts me personally in terms of the area of mercy where I don't tend to show mercy very well. I need more of an empathetic heart. I need a willingness to dive in and, and I know that that's an area of growth for me. I'm just not that good at it. And so it reveals selfishness. Mercy will reveal selfishness pretty easily. Another place, Extending blessing to those who lie about and abuse you. I know. I, I don't know what your persuasion is about Judge Kavanaugh, but this man has been on public spectacle as a man who's been abused and lied about and, and, and persecuted, quite honestly. And it's been very interesting to just watch the dynamic of our country in response there, there it's a very polarized perspective you know but put yourself in his shoes you know and I, I can't tell you whether he was innocent or not but you know I, I judge a man based on his character and you know based on the character of the last thirty years of his life at least uh, gosh I, I'm not sure I would want somebody going back to my high school years and digging up stuff you know but how does a guy like that extend mercy to his, his oppressors? You know, that's a difficult thing. But Jesus is saying, you know what? Even when it's brutal like that. I mean, think about what Jesus put up with in terms of his accusers, the ones who lied about him. He was in the same deal that Kavanaugh was in, quite honestly, in terms of being in front of the Sanhedrin and, and then th- just hunting for people to come up with an accusation. Come on, man, find something to accuse this guy of. Make something up. You know, they were looking for these opportunities and Jesus still said, I still love you. I'm still going to die. I'm going to extend mercy to you. It's powerful. How about this one? Showing tenderness to those who have stumbled into life-altering sin. And sometimes it's our own family. You know, sometimes it's, it's people that are really close to us who get themselves into trouble, and it it's, could be all sorts of things, man. It could be a marriage breakup. It could be prison. It could be alternate lifestyles. You know, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that, that alter a life very radically, and God is saying, in, in mercy, I want you to extend mercy, and that's difficult. That is a challenging thing for us to do. I had a uh, a friend that was in a study group with us for a number of years, and he and his wife were this ideal couple. And we we looked at, uh, why are, you know, Julie and I would ask ourselves, why are we even doing this study? I mean, they should be leading this because they had all the right answers and they just seemed like perfect and they adored each other. And and then one day I got a phone call and he was on the other end of the line and, and he said, uh, my wife just found out that I've been looking at pornography. And that made me, confess an affair three years ago I had that she didn't know anything about. And then he said, can I come over and talk to you? I was like, yeah, dude, sure, come on over. I can't wait to talk to you, right? Uh, You talk about a life-altering sin. He had been very good at being covert, very good at being under the the radar with this thing, but it all hit the fan, and all of a sudden, a life-altering sin hit his life. And it, it nearly destroyed a marriage. It took a year, a year of him rebuilding trust in that relationship. And talk about his wife needing to extend mercy to him. And she had trouble with that, quite honestly. Because it's like, if you've ever had trust violated in a relationship, in like a marriage relationship, it's, it's like, what else don't I know about? What else are you doing that I don't know about? Right? And so how does she, as a wife, extend mercy to a guy who's violated her in a big way? I mean, he talked about falling off the pedestal. Hello. Big time. And so to his credit, though, he said, I'm going to choose to rebuild this relationship. And he made some hard choices, and he began to do the the hard work of rebuilding a trust bridge she was able to then, got to a point of able to extend mercy to him. And and the awesome part of this story is is that now they're doing really well. And in fact, they've got almost a ministry going on of of working with other couples who've gone through similar things. So it's cool. It's an example of how mercy is redemptive in that situation. You guys, uh, typically we only give mercy to the measure that we understand it that we've received it. And it's, it's not human nature to respond mercifully, especially if you've been mistreated. And so to extend mercy is a supernatural thing. So here's, here's my punchline as we get ready to head into communion this morning. Mercy is something that God lavishes on us. Mercy is something he delights in, something he wants us to extend. And if you get to the point where you're having trouble extending mercy to somebody, here's what you need to do. You need to spend time meditating on how much mercy has been extended to you. You sit down and take inventory of how much loving kindness God has poured out on you. It changes your perspective. It gives you an ability to then extend that mercy. And so in communion this morning, as Marvin comes up, what are we doing? We're reminding ourselves of the one who extended mercy to us. He paid the ultimate price and said, I know that you're a messed up thing. I know that there's nothing you can do to earn righteousness. You can't achieve God's justice on your own. But he said, I am going to do something about that. I'm going to come down. I'm going to pay that price. And I am going to pay the crime for you. Pay for the crime. So if you'd take us, Marvin, before the throne of grace, and then just invite you guys to participate this morning.
1: Jesus. Luke 7, verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, listen, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Talk about mercy. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? So I just want to say something. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Jesus is always pointing to bring honor to those who have been dishonored. It says, I entered your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and she's wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I walked in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. It's mercy. The one forgiven much will love much. It's all about your understanding of mercy and the depth of mercy, the pit from which we've been pulled out of. This is the good news today, guys. When we come to celebrate the Lord's table, when we come to feast, we come to drink, we are celebrating the best news that has ever been given we're glorying in the gospel, the goodness that's been extended to every one of us who were so far down in that pit. There was no one that could save us except Christ Jesus. There was no help for you and I. And the more we connect with that great need of mercy, the more we get to receive it. And when we take the the blood and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ it is just the mercy table that we're at I love this today Bruce we're just coming to the mercy seat we're just coming to the mercy table and we're remembering I'm one that's been forgiven so much therefore I'm just going to live under this waterfall of mercy and I'm going to love much isn't it good news Guys, let's just, Lord, I pray all across this room for a reconnection with the goodness of the gospel, with the good news. Let's all stand together, if you will. Lord, I pray for fresh revelation that the gospel really is good news. The good news really is good. It is all rooted in this issue, this concept of mercy. The one forgiven much loves much. Lord, I'm just reminded today of Ezekiel 16, the passage where it says, I saw you. I saw you. It's similar to the woman. Do you see this woman? It says, Ezekiel 16, I saw you lying there in your own blood as soon as I passed you by. And I came before you and I said, live. Live. This is what mercy is. We were lying in our own blood, dying, and he passed us by and said, live, live. This is what the life of the believer is all about. Live. He's extending life. And all across this room as we come to taste and see that he is good. As you take of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus, you're just drinking life. You're, you're eating of life today. You're reminding yourself that you've moved from death into life. You're reminding yourself the gospel seed, the testimony of Jesus is alive on the inside of you. As you prepare to come forward, this, this is for those who've accepted Jesus into their hearts. He, he's alive. It doesn't matter if that happened uh, 30 seconds ago, like Bruce said, or if it happened 30 years ago. Same pay, right? Same pay. if you came in here today at unbeliever or questioning and you have been convinced of the goodness of God, you've stepped from death into life, then you can come and take of this meal, this love feast, this agape feast. You can come be a part of that. This is a family meal we take together as sons and daughters of the most high God. So Lord, we bless you for your body. Lord, and we thank you for your blood. We thank you for the testimony of Jesus. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And by your blood, we are cleansed. Thank you. Even there's gonna be healing in this room today at the family table. Thank you. There's going to be healing at the altar, healing at this table. So we taste and see that you are good. Amen. As you guys are ready, I just encourage you, come up to one of these stations and just uh, take of the body and the blood of Jesus. Amen.